0: The following is a production of Colleen Callahan Consultancy and C3 Studios. Today's episode is brought to you by Rooster, an innovative agriculture and rural lifestyle marketing company that solves client problems before they become problems. Learn more at roosterstrategy.com. This is The Rural Reveal a collection of compelling stories of those who live and work in rural communities and those who have influenced the fate or future of rural America. Across the country, there are real-life situations, experiences, and complications affecting real people. I'm your host this week. My name is Ken Root. It is my pleasure today to introduce and talk with a gentleman that had a tremendous impact on my life as a young reporter. He was rumored in the beginning of the Reagan administration to be the candidate for U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. Now, that's a a long list, obviously, but in this case, it happened, and John Block an Illinois farmer, and at the time Commissioner of Agriculture in the state of Illinois, became the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture in the first six years of the Reagan administration. And Mr. Block, who has been a friend of mine ever since, joins me. I'll call you Mr. Secretary if that's all right.
1: Well, that's fine, but you can call me what you want. That's what people usually do.
0: (laughs) It is an honor to talk to you every time I do so, and The friendly conversations that I have with you uh, at farm broadcaster meetings or at other events have just been amazing through the years, but going back to the beginning of when you emerged as the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture in a very interesting time was the highlight of my life and many of us who were ag reporters. You take me through it, if you wouldn't mind, Mr. Secretary, how did you become the US Secretary of Agriculture.
1: Well, when I think back on it, I have to acknowledge that there was a lot of things that I did and experienced before I was even considered for that because I you know, I'd been in I gone to West Point Military Academy, jumped out of a few airplanes afterwards and, and uh, was in the 1st Airborne Division. But I came back to the farm because my dad opened the door and said, if you want to come back. He didn't twist my arm, but I came back, and then really we started expanding our farming and doing very well. And after a few years, I was involved in Farm Bureau. And you say, well, what's that got to do with anything? It gets you, you get to know a lot of people, important people. Uh, in the industry, and I did that in fact, I even ran for Vice President of Illinois Farm Bureau one year, and I lost okay but uh in the end, I had been able to secure a lot of people out there in the country that knew me and before very long, uh Jim Thompson was elected Governor in Illinois and uh He's from the city. He didn't know much about the farming side. He needed a state director of agriculture. And I'd had this experience with Farm Bureau and working there. And uh, so some, somebody put my name up there and and he called me in to uh, interview and surprised as I was because I, I was just kind of honored to be interviewed by the the governor, and uh, he chose me as his state director of agriculture, and I, I went to Springfield to do that. That's a, uh, you know, a couple hours from the farm, so I'd go back to the farm on the weekends. I didn't, I wasn't. I've never been divorced from the farmland.
0: Some people say timing is more important than anything else. How old were you when you took that commissioner of agriculture job in the state of Illinois? uh for what year i
1: was about uh, 39
0: something like that so you had been farming and you had had your military career Yes. and to just let people know where you stand now without telling your age what did you do last weekend (laughs) yeah
1: i i stand now at 87 years and i went last weekend you brought it up because you knew i went to my 65th class reunion at West Point, and I got to see, you know, some of the, the guys that I don't see, because some of them live out here close, and I see them sometimes, but they're all over the country, and so it was a great experience, and uh, went through all of that, and, and then did the farming for 17 years. I was there all the time, and... And and then I ended up uh, in Springfield as state director of agriculture. And and it just kind of happened that I I had never met uh, Jim Thompson, the elected governor, before I ended up being chosen. I didn't know Ronald Reagan before he picked me, although I did shake his hand with some other people one time uh, in his uh, campaign through Illinois. but the, the other person that had a lot of, to do with my selection of Secretary of Agriculture uh, would, have, would have been uh, Orion Samuelson, but especially uh, uh, Senator Bob Dole. Mm-hmm. Bob Dole had said that he wanted a hands-on farmer for Secretary of Agriculture. I was in Springfield, Illinois. Uh, at my desk, uh, when I was state director of agriculture, and I picked up the Wall Street Journal and I read an article. And uh, Senator Bob Dole listed about eight or ten names of prospects for Secretary of Agriculture. So, see, the press is asking him about that because he's so closely linked to the ag industry and so highly respected. And my name was in the list. And I didn't know Senator Bob Dole. But uh, anyway, there it was, and uh, I called his office and uh, asked if I could meet with him, and they said, come on to town. So I I went out to Washington, D.C. This was in December before Ronald Reagan uh, took charge in January as uh, the new president. It was December. So I went right out, met with the uh, Senator Dole. He he introduced me to two or three other people. I got you know got to meet him, but that doesn't mean he was gonna decide to support me, but he did. He went ahead and supported me because I guess he thought maybe I'd be able to do it. I was from the heartland. And so he sent a a map of the United States and he wrote there this letter to President-elect Reagan saying that uh, I'm hoping that you'll select someone from the heartland of the country, and the name I would like for you to choose as Secretary of Agriculture is John Block, and uh, that's a hands-on farmer, that's what he wanted, and uh, President Reagan, uh, within two or three days, I got uh, a invitation from the president to fly to California to his Pacific Palisades home and have an interview. And I went, I did it and went to the door. His wife Nancy opened the door and, and I just walked in there and, and uh, got to see the president and, and uh, Anderson, who was a, a economist for him, a very important guy, and a couple other people. And it wasn't a big crowd. Nancy brought us a cup of coffee and whatever. So we talked for two hours, and uh, I went back to the hotel, and the phone rings. It says, this is Ronald Reagan. I want you to be my secretary of agriculture. Okay, that's how it happened.
0: (laughs) Wow, that is quite a story. Now, may I put in here that you were married to a very sharp lady and i would think that sue was a very positive person in this presentation of you and she together and i'm reaching here a little bit is that true
1: yeah uh but when i met with the president uh, you know it was just me and uh, but she she helped on a lot of things my gosh we raised three kids and so it, it was a great occasion but uh, in these political meetings, uh, it was just me and somebody else, maybe uh, uh, another politician.
0: You came in as really the first Republican since Earl Butts had been Secretary of Agriculture, even though that's not exactly true. But you were aligned to be a Secretary of Agriculture that could serve for an extended period, at least four years at that point. And... Butts had self-destructed, we both knew him, and I wonder how much of your um, your actions, your policy, your demeanor was to make sure that the Butts legacy went away as quickly as it could.
1: Well, I don't think that uh, uh, I focused on that very much, I, I, I always kind of followed my own instincts and. In my own uh, of way of doing things, and I know Earl Butts, uh, he he got into trouble, and I didn't, you know, I, I'm more always more cautious than that, but uh, and I always had a lot of respect for his judgment on on issues. I didn't know him really when I came to Washington. I came I came to Washington, and I didn't know anybody. Uh, hardly. I, I didn't know anybody.
0: <laughs> Let me jump you into cabinet meetings, and I know that we still had the Carter grain embargo on, as Reagan came into office, and of course we had just gotten um, through, or we finishing up the the Iran uh, embassy hostages. So you go to the cabinet meetings. How did you fit into that cabinet?
1: Well, you know, it's like uh, I would say that uh, the president did have some other cabinet members that uh, were not that well known uh, beyond their own business or industry or whatever. And the whole time during the uh, election process, the president had said that he he felt that the, the grain embargo, which was imposed on, on uh, Russia, at the time, was hurting farmers, and he he would probably want to get it, get it lifted. Well, I thought, boy, here's our chance. The first cabinet meeting we had, and he had not been inaugurated yet, the president, but he was he was there to do it, and we had a cabinet meeting at the Blair House, which is right outside, very close to the, the White House, but he couldn't have it in the White House because he wasn't in there yet. So we had a cabinet meeting. You know, all of his cabinet choices were there. They talked about this and that, and then pretty soon he says, "Well, anybody have anything else?" Well, you know, I just, I just said, uh, "Mr. President, uh, I'd like for us to lift that grain embargo. is hurting our farmers and agriculture." And I, <laughs> I really got nailed by Alexander Egg, the Secretary of State. And he said we're not going to do that till we get some concessions from Russia, and then some. Uh, I think uh, Cap Weinberger, the Secretary of Defense, kind of joined in and says we've got to be hard on those Russians. And uh, so, okay, <laughs> the meeting was over, and I uh, and nobody joined in to help me at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but when it was over, I I met with Bill Brock. He was a, a trade trade representative and we're talking trade anyway. And he said, I support your idea. Let's see. And Ed Meese was the closest worker working with the president. He's always worked with the president. I met with him and, and talked to him and he says, well, we'll see what we can do. And then I, I talked to two or three other people uh, so I did have some allies and, uh, Ed Mason knew I did too. Uh, I'm sure the president did, but he wasn't, wasn't, uh, wasn't going to get out front on it. Uh, I wanted to meet with the president myself and just talk to him about it, and how critical it was to agriculture. And I called the white house, uh, on a, I forgot which day of the week it was. And, uh, talked to the secretary there and said, could I come over and meet with the president briefly? I've just got something to talk to him about. And she said, well, and I said, can I do it today? And she, uh, she said, no, like, we can't do it today. He has to give a speech at a hotel here in town. And uh, I, I said, well, I'd like to do it today anyway. And she said, well, listen, if you want to meet with him today, you have to show up at the the speech, and when he comes back, you ride with him in his limo, and uh, we'll uh, you can talk to him then on the way back. Well, then I was I said, okay, that's what I'm going to do, and I went in and told my secretary at the office there at the Department of Agriculture, and she said, you can't do that. You've got a, a special meeting with the minister of agriculture uh, from an uh, Asian country. And somebody else said, You've got to meet with them because that's, uh, that's already on the schedule. So she called back and canceled me out. But that's the day that President Reagan was shot. And uh, after his speech, getting into the car or into his limo. So uh, that was a shocking thing to me. Wow. After, <laughs> I know, after a few days, maybe a week or two, I got a call. And, uh, you know, he, he did, he recovered, we know, and and came around and I got a call from the White House. They scheduled me to meet with him uh, at the White House. And the day I went there, which is, I don't know, maybe three weeks after he was shot and went, went in to meet with him in, in the Oval Office. I sat down and then he had Alexandra Hank come in, too. And he looked at us, and he said, "I'm lifting a great embargo today, so <laughs> that was that was a big victory for agriculture. It was also one for me for that matter, but it was a big deal
0: when the, I first then intersected with you was uh, at the beginning of your uh, term and named in the spring of nineteen eighty one my boss had traveled with Errol in times past, and he said, Block looks like the kind of guy who may do some traveling, and as reporters, I'm going to see if I can get us on a trip with him. So he contacted John Oakes, who was your press secretary, if not a larger title than that, certainly a larger-than-life man. And uh, he asked him, and Oakes said, basically, you hadn't formulated anything about that as of yet. However, you were a marathoner at the time. You were a runner, and uh, you ran a great deal. And we just kind of thought if he runs that much, he's this active, he might well be the kind of guy that Reagan would have run around the world and try to increase our sales of agricultural products, which was a critical period right then as we were seeing a decline in agricultural income. And as it turned out, you did exactly that. You started running uh, across the world as an ambassador for trade.
1: Well, it was almost a natural thing, I guess, but it it was also uh, a comfortable thing for me to do because I had always been a big proponent of trade for agriculture. It was great for the industry and create all kinds of jobs. And so this was a chance to do some of that. And even when I was state director of agriculture at Illinois, I went to China on behalf of my governor, Jim Thompson, there to try to cement some kind of a trade between China and Illinois agriculture. So it was a natural thing for me to do that. And as you know, we've traveled... Uh, not just to China, we were there a few times, but we were countries all over the world trying to open the door for agricultural trade from the United States.
0: When I first traveled with you was October of 81, and that was the first major trip you had taken. We were in a presidential fleet, jet, uh, which had no windows in it. It was a very nice aircraft. Um, the KC-135, in fact, only 707 without windows. And it went to Korea and then Japan and then to China. And um, I'm not asking for a lot of details, but do you remember, uh, first of all, going into Korea and uh, and anything that we did there?
1: Well, I remember a little bit about uh, Korea. Uh, we went to small farms and uh, I remember they were... They were harvesting uh, some soybeans, and they they beat them off with, I don't know, what they hit them with to to get them them shelled. We weren't on a combine, I'll tell you that, in (laughs) Korea. (laughs) That was just one of them. And in in China, it was mostly fruits and vegetables.
0: We went into the demilitarized zone, and you let us go with you, uh, the whole contingent went in there, and that was a spooky place to me. Did it stick in your mind as well?
1: No, I don't know. I I don't remember that
0: much about it. And <laughs> well, uh, that said. You don't you don't have to. I remember too much myself. I, I was- should re
1: I should remember about it if I was in the 101st Airborne Division, but I don't. I can't place it right now.
0: Well, they took us in by school bus, and we went to Panmunjom, which was the place where that the, the uh, talks were held to see if they could have some type of armistice. And we saw the Korean soldiers on the other side, and the South Koreans told us there would, they only allowed Koreans who were six feet tall to be shown at the border to the North Koreans. And it was all psychological warfare between the two, and it really had been. And remarkably, that was in 1981, and we still have that same border between North and South Korea at this time, just not too far north of Seoul. After that, sir, we went to Japan for a reasonably brief period. Any comment on Japan?
1: No, I uh, I hadn't been to Japan, though, until then, and it was news to me because the thing I only knew about Japan was like World War Two and everything, and so it was a it was an eye opener, but it was a first and After that, I've been to Japan another number of times,
0: as I recall, we rode the bullet train, even that long ago in Japan. yes,
1: we did we did we rode the bullet train,
0: and that showed you know what kind of technological advancement they had and then we were uh through with that part of the trip and we got on the airplane again to go to China. And this was not a comfortable moment because China was just coming out of the Mao era. Deng Xiaoping was in power at the time. We didn't have very good relations with them. And at the same time, apparently, the Washington Post ran an uh, op-ed that said Where is the Secretary of Agriculture? They are debating the farm bill, and he's not in Washington. And so you walk back to the press section of the plane and said, guys, we're going to shorten our trip to China, and we're going to go home because the media is after me because they're debating the farm bill, and I'm not there. And so we then went on into Beijing, and i got to tell this story because it's one of my all-time favorites. We landed about dust. And as we looked out of those little bitty windows, we were amazed at the countryside of how undeveloped it was. And when we got to when we got to Beijing and and were landing, I had been told earlier that I was not going to be able to get off first with my TV camera because it was just not protocol; could be taken the wrong way. And then as we touched down. Uh, Lewis McElroy, who was really uh, shepherding you through that trip for USDA, came running back there and he said, Ken, the secretary wants you to get off first. Okay. All my camera gear is stowed up above me and it has battery power and it takes it a while to come on. So I'm strapping it on like a wild man and I get everything on and I get this camera on my shoulder and I come to the compartment where you and Mrs. Block were and what I distinctly remember, whether you disputed or not, is you said, uh, yeah, Ken, if they're going to shoot somebody, let them shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well,
1: <laughs> just a little bit of good humor, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, I, I took it that way. But I tell you, when I stepped off that airplane, it was a cold yeah. place. And it was no. just the feeling of World War II military base. There was nothing there except one story buildings at that airport and I went down to the bottom of the of the ramp and there were a group of Chinese ministers men lined up there and I noticed they all had on the Mao uh suits but they also had on old shoes and I turned around because I was playing by their rules and aimed the camera up and at that point you emerged from the plane and came down and then shook hands with all of these men, and then we went on to the terminal, and uh, there was a guard who was very much with me, who kept me from raising the camera up and taking any pictures of anything else except this delegation. Do you remember that moment?
1: No, I don't remember that, but I do remember you were there taking pictures, but I don't remember that they uh, they kind of limited your, your reach, I guess.
0: What did you think of the country? We didn't get to be there much, very long. I know we had a number of uh, discussions with government ministers in cold rooms, but what do you remember of China?
1: I think it was so backward. It's amazed what's changed in China. they, They had hardly any cars. They had a few, but it was just bicycles and people walking in the city, and there's you didn't have fancy nice restaurants good looking hotels and i the place is really not not developed at that time and that's what's kind of astounding is how much it has developed so fast over the years since since we were there it's really something else i i, I saw the same kind of problems when i went to, uh, i told you i went one time to China for uh, Governor Jim Thompson and we took a gift to the Chinese and we took them a Yorkshire boar a boar, pig right. a, a beautiful animal and uh, we gave it to uh, the Chinese when we got there and another interesting thing, all, all our group that was going, we had about 12 of us and we named that Yorkshire boar, uh, Big Jim. That's after Jim Thompson, the governor. <laughs> that was my first trip there. And then the letter with you, and then I went there other times. And then, you know, we've been there even since then, and it's, it's been quite a change.
0: Well, you went with the Farm Broadcasters just a few years ago, and it is absolutely night and day. It's amazing. When we were yeah. there, you got to remember this one, you were still running every day. And when we were in Beijing, they, um, uh, accommodated letting you and a few of your uh, delegation go run together in the mornings. And, yep. uh, you got a little carried away one day.
1: <laughs> we were running
0: along the street and, you know, the Chinese
1: always watching everything you do. And they had a, a, a car that was following on the street as we were running along sidewalks. And, uh, I uh, got sick of looking around, see that car following us and we came to an alley that was pretty narrow. We got the alley. I had a couple of guys there running with me or three. And I say, We're going down the alley. And we went right down that alley so fast. And of course the car couldn't follow us because he couldn't get in there. It was too narrow. And so we lost the car. We got away from it. But we ran for another mile or two or three, I don't know. And then we said, Well, we better get back. We're supposed to get back for uh, a meeting this morning, let's get back and we were lost. We could not find I had to stop and ask the Chinese policeman there on the road and they couldn't understand English, and we couldn't understand them, but we did finally figure it out one one guy could understand something and he pointed the right direction. We made it back and the, but uh trying to be a little more careful than that in the future, ruddy.
0: Well, running down that alley, I take it, it was early morning, as I remember. You got yeah. to see people in their homes and out in the alley. Uh, that had to be a, a third-world shop, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. And, and I did do things that were in the morning when I'd run, not this particular day, but other days, down the street. And I'd have a guy with me, uh, my security guy. They'd have a security guy with me. Go past a school, and there's some young Chinese kids out shooting baskets with the basketball. And I just stopped there and looked at them and looked. And pretty soon they kind of signaled to me, you couldn't talk to me because I wouldn't know what they were saying anyway, to come on in. And they threw the basketball to me. And so I shot a couple shots. And pretty soon we were trying to play basketball there. (laughs) <laughs> against uh, each other and uh, anyway it was a kind of a fun thing to do and but we still couldn't talk to each other
0: yeah but you could communicate and uh, I think that is the the key to what that was being said we were there they were interested in us I know that they went on to uh, to open up for trade actually they were doing that at the moment but it was slow and uh, and then China took off amazingly from that point I want to ask you just a few questions, if I could, in more general terms about the time that you were Ag Secretary. What do you think your biggest challenges were in those six years that you were the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture in the Reagan administration of the 1980s?
1: Well, of course, getting that great embargo lifted, that was just a short-term thing, important. But the biggest challenge was that the ag industry, had some tough times. The interest rates got so high, 16, 18 percent, even. So, you know, farmers have to usually have to borrow some money to pay for seed or chemicals or fertilizer or maybe uh, a combine. I don't know. It, it was just killing agriculture. We lost so many family farms during that period of time with uh, inflation just. That tore us apart. I think about that now because we're talking about inflation now. Of course, it's, what we got now is no nothing close to how high that got at that time. A lot of country banks just went broke because their their customers weren't able to pay them back, and so those were those were tough times. But we got our farm bills done, uh, and we got we handled it. We We worked. We increased our trade uh, from the Department of Agriculture, and and somehow we worked our way through it. But it was not an easy period of time uh, to be in the farm business.
0: Let me ask you about the farm bills. Of course, we call them that. They roll around every four to five years, depending on how Congress can handle them. In 1980, um, 81 was really the first of the modern farm bills as I have followed it. And then the 85 farm bill was the first one to really be aggressively putting more teeth and more carrots into uh, farmers taking part and complying with regulation. And then we moved on from those to other farm bills after your time. I wonder what your thinking is of the progression of those farm bills, and if that was a good thing that got started in your administration? That
1: was one of the challenges that we faced. The first farm bill, the first year, I did not feel that I had much influence on that first bill. The Congress already had it figured out, and that was it. But the next farm bill, I did have influence, because I was, I was sick of having the, the federal government support farmers, but for the farmers to be supported and helped, they had to take some of the best land in the world out of production. And I, I said, we could take some land that's more erosive and not as good out of production. So we started the Conservation Reserve Program. And that was the big thing in the 85 Farm Bill. After that, the farm bills since then have been reform bills. In some respects, I think they get to be too much detail in them. And uh, part of the farm bills is not just support of farm farmers and farming, but the food programs and the school lunch programs and all of that. And it has changed over the years. And I think in a lot of respects, we're better than we used to be. Uh, certainly better than we used to be on the farm side because we allow uh, farmers to make decisions on on markets and demand uh, for what they're producing and and not have quite as much government manipulation of farm producers.
0: Could you tell me, sir, as you finished up your tenure in Washington, uh, six years of it, determined to stay in Washington, D.C., and not go back home.
1: Well, first I I uh, well, think you know, but I I go back home a, a lot for for quite a while. I went almost once a month, uh, uh, not quite that, but uh, and I still go back quite a bit. But uh, well, I was out here, married out here, family out here. I don't know. I've uh, I I was uh, I've, I've stayed close to the far broadcasters and. Being close to Washington was a good thing in that regard, so as I could do, speak to the issues of the day. But I'm, I'm to the point now that I, I think I want to go to Florida a little more in the winter. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, for those of us who were media, we really didn't go into this to try to be cheerleaders for you. We tried to report what was going on. But as you were so easy to work with, and the things that you were doing were embraced by our, our listeners and uh, readers and, uh, and viewers. We uh, developed a rapport with you, and we were treated very well by you and your staff at USDA. And then you, after you, that, you just chose to remain a person who could be seen and talked to in agriculture. Uh, and you, you took your job with, with OFW Law in um, Washington, D.C., and then you started competing with us. You started writing a column and voicing it, you know, and putting us out of business, Mr. Secretary. That,
1: her. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, it, it's a competitive world we live in.
0: How long have you been writing your weekly column?
1: I started my first program in 1986. So I've, it's, it's some thirty-five years I've been doing a weekly program, and I, I might give it up sometime. I mean, I keep thinking anytime, but I've done it for a long time, and I've enjoyed it. It helps to keep me connected with uh, the farming industry. That's it's my life, and that I love.
0: Well, you're only eighty-seven, so you know, surely you've got thirteen more years than before retirement. <laughs>
1: that's my plan (laughs) um
0: one more thing to touch on you haven't had all good times in your life you had a terrible tragedy in the loss of your son through no fault of his own sitting still on a motorcycle and killed by a motorist and in that column of yours only a couple of weeks later you just laid that out and stated it to us and seemed like even though i know his memory is very strong with you you just moved on ahead. I, I thought that was remarkable.
1: Well, it was the most shocking thing that's happened in my family, in my family's life. And uh, even my radio programs, I've always tried to be honest and straightforward. And uh, and I also knew that we had to keep that family farm going. So the, the one guy that... Uh, uh work uh, had worked for me since he was sixteen years old. Uh, I just turned to him and said, You've got to run things out here. I'll talk to you, but you're in charge with the guys so that's what we did and uh, uh and he's still in charge. I might add but i'm I'm grateful that my uh grandson, which was my son's son, my son that got killed my grandson did come back to the farm a couple of years ago and I I hope he stays we'll see but he's he's good he's, he served as a navy seal for 10 years so uh but he's he's good we'll see how it goes
0: well that indicates that he's definitely got the capability to stick with it as have you and uh I do appreciate all the good times we had and uh, all of the ability that we had to talk to you when you were in office and to report on the events. I was one of many farm broadcasters who traveled somewhere with you because during those six years you went all over the world and we went with you, somebody did, in just about every one of those trips that you took. So thank you for that and for being a, a strong advocate for agriculture. When I said you stayed in Washington, I did not mean you forgot the farm. <laughs> no. I
1: think
0: the trips back uh, to the farm were your your ability to get your, your head on straight after being in Washington and then go back there again.
1: Right. And uh Ken, I want to thank you for your leadership and the great support that you've given to the industry and your reporting and and you know, it it's a love of the industry that we both share. And so we both have done our best to support it and give it a positive light, and I think we've done that.
0: John Block, Illinois farm boy, West Point graduate, Commissioner of Agriculture in Illinois, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, and many, many more things since then. Thank you, sir. It's been a great pleasure to speak with you.
1: Thank you, Ken, and the best to you.
0: This has been a production of Colleen Callahan Consultancy and C3 Studios. Special thanks to our sponsor today, Rooster, an innovative agriculture and rural lifestyle marketing company that solves client problems before they become problems. Learn more at roosterstrategy.com.